Whenever we hear the term worship in church, we often think about singing and music, but it's much more than that. So this week on the Emmaus Institute for Disciple Making podcast, Ben and Lana Toll are going to be addressing this in their series, Worshiping in Spirit and Truth. I mean, great segue. Thank you, Jeremy, for jumping in. We're, we're certainly, our, our goal and our idea here is to talk about specifically, I think, um, just using the concept of worshiping in spirit and in truth, which we'll sort of dive into a little bit more in detail later, as sort of the, the focal point, the central, like, direction that we're going. But before we get started, I want to say just a couple of things specifically about the course. Um, we'll walk you through where we're going. But first off, this is this class is about congregational church worship, right? So what we're doing here is not necessarily about music, but it's not not about music either. <laughs> it's not necessarily about congregational singing alone, but it is, it, it is about how we, as a body of Christ, corporately worship together. Um, we're going to talk a little bit today try to set the groundwork for like what we're talking about you know you, you're going to talk about anything you got to define your terms um and we're going to define the heck out of these terms today um hopefully um but as we go forward we want we want to keep in mind and i think it's it's even it's hard for us at times while we were working through the material it was hard for us not to automatically go to music mm-hmm. Um, we were writing things out about the definitions that we found of worship and and music kept sneaking in like and we had to keep saying we're not talking about music yet we're going to talk about that eventually but we're not there yet um, and I think that's indicative of where we are as a church um, and I mean big C church not as Emmaus necessarily but as a big C church that's where we are it's worship is synonymous with congregational singing right. or the congregational experience of song if that makes sense, mm-hmm. rather than than corporate singing. Um, and I think I think we need to dive into the whys and the wherefores and, and the what's of all of that so that our... Because if we believe what we say that we believe about the Bible and about who, who God is and who Christ is to us and for us, everything changes. Um, and we, we'll dive into that a little bit more um, later. But but so we're, we're taking this from the approach of we want to talk about music. That's a passion of ours, clearly. Mm-hmm. It has a prominent place in, um, in the church. But really, more than anything else, it's about how can we, as a group of you know, 11 or 12 people, start to adjust our way of viewing what it is to worship and thereby do it better in every aspect of, of what that touches. Because it can't just be about music. Right. Um, it's a much broader term, as we're going to see. Um, but it's, it, it's about congregational worship. Um, private worship is, is very similarly connected, and we're going to talk about that a little bit. But it's the whole overarching idea of the class is this idea of worshiping together, what that means and how we can do it effectively. Um, and we'll try to stay as... as Bible-centered as we possibly can, um, but I, I hope that you'll keep a couple of caveats in mind. We are we are not in any way um, Greek and Hebrew scholars. Um, <laughs> um, even to, I would even go as far as to say that I think we've grown up in church, so we have a lot of Bible knowledge. But I'm by no way trying to put myself up uh, as a Bible scholar either. <laughs> so we're working through some of this stuff from our knowledge base, but but there's a lot more to it. People have written dissertations on this. There are loads of really great resources and books that we'll try to send you to um, uh, so that we can continue to learn together. Uh, but if we were to dive down deep enough, we could be here for a really, really long time. So it is going to be a bit of an overview um, for the next five weeks. And that overview looks a little bit like this. Um, week one, we're going to talk about worship in spirit and in truth. That's sort of the key idea of the class, where we're going with it. Um, week two, we want to talk about storytelling in the worshiper. And that may seem like a little bit of a tangent, but it's not. And we're going we're gonna to jump into that with... Um, with Vim and Vigor next week, um, but I think some of the groundwork for that will be laid uh, during during week one. Then um, in in week three, we're talking about sacred artistry in the church, uh, sort of a historical perspective, specifically on things like hymnology, how the church has has manifested corporate worship 
um, throughout the historical or the historical record of the church age. So we're, we're that gets to be a little bit more academic, but I love where it leads us. Um, there's a, a lot of wisdom to be gleaned from a lot of different era, eras and areas uh, of how the church has done this thing. Um, uh, and then uh, week four, specifically diving into hymnody and psalmody, like what what it means to create songs to sing so the the week before i misspoke slightly is is more about like liturgy and form like how we how the church has worshiped together throughout the ages and then specifically in week four history uh the historical hymnody and psalmody how we um how we've developed music throughout the ages to sort of continue to to push forward that congregational worship aspect and then in week five what we'd really like to do is talk about how um, again, just practical aspects of how we can do this thing better in the church, um, and maybe even put a little bit of what we've learned into practice and have a little bit of a of, of, of a worship time together, um, where we put some of the the principles that we've discovered um, into play and and go from there. So that's where we're headed, um, and we're really excited to have you guys on the ride with us. Um, our goal is to try to move. Us as a church, and specifically this group, um, hopefully taking that first step from the idea of being consumers to being worshipers. I think there's something that we have really missed in the church, like we said earlier, about sort of experiencing worship rather than participating in it. Um, I think it's a huge, a huge issue um, and something that we desperately need to rectify as, as a church body to continue to do what we're called to do. Um, and we'll get into a lot of that as we move on. Um, so our overview for today, uh, what, is what is biblical worship? Why do we worship together? And then how are we to worship together? And again, it's primarily, hopefully, we'll, we'll take a very biblical approach, but with some um, modern teachers and, and philosophers thrown in there um, to sort of prop that up. But that's where we're going and, and where we're headed. So um, what is biblical worship? Let's start Ooh. there. Bam, let's hit the ground running, right? It's going to be fast. It's going to be fast, y'all, so I hope you're ready. Um, so obviously, many, 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 over 400 references to worship in the Bible, um, but obviously we don't Specifically have... Specifically that word. Right, that word worship. So, you know, obviously we don't have a dictionary that came at the back of your Bible that says exactly what it means in modern day English, right? So we go off of the terms that we are given. So... Starting with the Greek, so this is more New Testament terms, obviously. We have latruyo, and there are more of these examples. I just grabbed four. Um, so it's used, so essentially the definition is serve, to do the service, worshiper. You'll see worship um, is not a small, tiny thing. It's connected to lots of ideas. Um, so we want to try to highlight some of the different ways that worship is connected uh, through action, through many ways. But this specific example is from Luke 2, talking about Anna, the prophetess. And I love this, at the very end of this passage, they're describing her life. She's 84. She does not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. So here, no music involved, notice, right? Worship with fasting and prayer night and day. That's our first use. Another famous one, proskuneo, um, to fall upon the knees and touch the ground. Oh, we should tell y'all. We will send you this PowerPoint. <laughs> so don't feel like I do right fast. Take, take down what you want. Right. We are going to yes. provide some resources. I was like, I'm just going to like, 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 what? Shit, can you just send it? Absolutely. <laughs> no pressure. I've already thought I needed yes. a shorthand class. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. Right. Shh, I know what you mean. To fall upon the knees and touch the ground with the forehead as an expression of profound reverence. Um, this also has to do with homage, uh, whether in order to express res respect or to make supplication to ask for something. So the example with this word, Matthew 2, 11, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, that being Jesus, and they fell down and worshiped him. So physically falling down. It's a very different use than the last one. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts. So they acted upon that gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then going back to the Old Testament, um, one of our Aramaic uses of worship is Sajed, and we have uh, Nebuchadnezzar. In this example, we know the famous fiery furnace story, hopefully. Um, Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted him and set aside the king's command, and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship God, any God except their own God. Um, so we have a different, again, just different highlights of worship. Then we have Shaka, our last one, to depress, uh, 
prostrate, to bow self down, crouch, fall down flat, humbly beseech, to do reverence, to make, to stoop, to worship. Um, Exodus 33:10, which we're in this book right now as a church, so this one is particularly meaningful. Um, and when all the people saw the pillar of the clouds standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up. So now we're in the opposite direction. <laughs> rise up and worship, each at his tent door. And all of these, again, there are more. But really, for us, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, and, and sort of just, because that's a lot of information. And again, yeah. like Lana said, there's lots of other terms that get translated as mm -hmm. worship um, in the Old and New Testament. Um, so it's not exhaustive by any stretch of the right. imagination. But you start to see the pattern emerging that, that what gets translated as worship is typically something of reaction or action. Yes. So when, when God is beheld in his glory, they bow down. When the truth of God is applied to their lives, they act. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's this reaction and action idea that keeps coming back. Um, mm -hmm. And then we talk about some specific goals or, or principles that, that come out of that. Idea. Right. And so kind of, and this is an amalgamation of many um, ideas of worship in the Bible, but some of the things that came at least to our attention that surround worship is adoration. Right, so like in that example, they're standing at the tents. They're looking at this crazy, I mean, can you even imagine a huge pillar, right, cloud? And they're just in awe. And all their attention is focused on it, and they're in awe. They're adoring what's going on. They're stopping everything they're doing, and that's a form of worship. Um, worship we also see is sanctifying. Um, there were so many examples of this term you know, bow down, do not bow down before God. So there are almost more negative examples than there were like, do this. And so much of that is because we see the children of Israel keeping on, you know, being obsessed with this thing and this thing and distracted, right? And that's shiny, right? And they keep grabbing and worshiping other gods or other things. And so we see this, um, this act of when God calls them, do not worship. He's saying, no, 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 not just stop worshiping. Instead, come worship me. Right, so there we already see, like, as humans, we naturally worship something. So worshiping God specifically is a repenting, a turning from the thing that you're worshiping and saying, nope, that's, that's not worth my time, that's not worth me, um, worth uh, my adoration, right? And we, it changes us. Sanctification is, is not an easy process. It's a very long, ongoing process, and worship, one of the aspects, one of the things we keep seeing in the scripture is it sanctifies the people of God. And last, it also edifies. Um, talking again about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we, we see them singing together, and I love that. Uh, and if you notice, you know, they hold on to this idea of not bowing before any other gods so, so deeply. And they hold together to one another in a way that, you know, who knows, would they have made it all the way to the fiery furnace if there had not been three of them, right? Mm -hmm. If the three of them had not all together said, yeah, no, we're going to stay true to this. We're going to be faithful. We're going to worship God, even if that means we all die together in this thing. Um, and so in that way, we see them building up one another's faith. And that could have been, you know, an, a turning point for for the nation even at that moment. So, so much, so much again. We're on the fast track to some of the highlights. Yeah, um, I think what, what's, what I love about that is that um, when you look at the definitions, again, we start to see that pattern of reaction and action when we view God rightly. So then some of those, some of those, those things that come out of that, the principles that, that come out of that is when we are worshiping or when we're doing something, so we have a definition, but then we have to see how worship is used practically in the lives of people in the scriptures. Um, and when we look at that, we see this adoration, sanctification, edification kind of idea mm -hmm. coming out. When you view God rightly, you praise him. Mm -hmm. That's the automatic response if your heart is tuned rightly to God. And even sometimes when it's not, what's beautiful about the Bible is that sometimes he shows his glory to people and it doesn't matter the condition of their hearts. They, they either fall, they have some sort of reaction. Right. There's either a falling down and worshiping or there's a hardening kind of thing. So there's mm -hmm. still this, even if, even if you're not a believer, there's a response to, to God seen rightly. Yeah. Then there's the sanctification piece because when you see him and, and you allow that to apply to your life, you change. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the edification piece comes in when we're talking about you've seen him, you've changed your own life, and then there's this outward corporate, which we get to eventually, um, response where we want to use that same view of God to change the lives of the people around us as well. So it becomes this, this big idea. And those, those tend to be the ways that, the, that words or concepts or phrases that are used or translated as worship end up coming into play for the children of God throughout the Bible. Um, so again, like we said, there's no... like. 
definition in the you know the second opinions 13.4 doesn't say you know you, this is what worship means when I say the word worship we just are, right. are sort of left to assume these principles and these ideas um, based on the the definitive definitions of, of the translated term um, but then also how how the people uh, in the Bible tend to go about it or how they tend to react to it um, but then what we've also done is we've 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 scoured some several resources of some um, some people who have some credits to their names and things um, uh, in the world now, especially people who have focused on um, worship. Again, we talked about um, people having written dissertations about this kind of stuff. These are some of those people, and that's this is what they sort of have to say about it. Um, so I'm going to jump into a couple of those. Um, uh, Harold Best has written a book called Music Through the Eyes of Faith. Um, and it sort of defines worship in its broadest sense as, as you can see up here, acknowledging that someone or something else is greater, worth more, and by consequence to be obeyed, feared, and adored. Mm -hmm. Worship is the sign that in giving myself completely to someone or something, I want to be mastered by it. So there's this automatic, there's this um, response of I see something greater than myself and I submit to it. Mm -hmm. in, in that sense, it is a broad, it is a broadly defined um, reaction of worship to um, to pray. Um, it's probably not even a, a broadly defined idea either. It's a it's a definition of or it's an, an action an action of worship to participate in service to others. Mm -hmm. It's it's an aspect of worship to um, to be self sacrificing to those kinds of things. The the view of God and the submission to what God says. Mm -hmm. um, and so then, under that definition, everything under the Bible that God tells us to do, enacting that is an, is an aspect of worship. Mm -hmm. um, it's not a particular form or function. It's just when God says something, we do it. When we look at God and he is a certain way, we try to emulate it. Mm -hmm. um, so then uh, Warren Wearsby, um, in his book, Real Worship, um, very well-known theologian, um, worship is the believer's response of all that they are, mind, emotions, will, body, to what God is and says and does. Again, a very broad but very um, piercing uh, definition. Um, Dan Block, who uh, recently, uh, up until recently, was a professor of Old Testament at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, uh, says that reverential act, human acts of submission and homage before the divine sovereign in response to his gracious revelation of himself and in accordance with his will. That is a, that is a worshipful response. Um, worship in the Early Church, a book by Ralph Martin. Christian worship, then, is the happy blend of offering to God, our Creator and Redeemer, through Jesus Christ, both what we owe to him and what we would desire to give him. And I absolutely love this definition, specifically for this reason. Um, when, we, when we see God through Scripture, through... Um, Many of the ways that he reveals himself to his general revelation through the, um, the world that he's created, specific revelation through the Bible and, and those kinds of things. When we see him, um, our response should be to praise or to bow. Again, the reaction or action concept that we talked about earlier. Um, but this definition throws out there that it's never adequate. It's never enough. Mm -hmm. Like, we could give every amount of praise, every amount of singing, every amount of service, every, every bit of everything that we could do for the rest of our lives is, is not enough to respond to the beauty and the glory and the majesty that he shows to us. Mm -hmm. So it's not, only, it's not only the things that we want or that we do give to him, the, th the praise that we do sing, the praise that we do speak, it's also the things that we would wish to give to him. Mm -hmm. Um, and I just, I love that because it's so progressive. It's, it's never a, and we've talked a little bit about trying to do this whole worship, corporate worship thing better. What this definition throws out there is that we never get there. And that's not a depressing thing. That's, that's an encouraging, um, uh, engaging and, and sort of motivating thing to continue moving forward on our, on, on the steps to trying to worship him rightly and truly. Um, sanctification is progressive. We are always moving towards um, becoming more like Christ. That's that's our entire. That's one of our goals as believers, um, and so it should it should automatically follow that no one has this whole worshiping God thing figured out entirely 
fully, right? There's always going to be a, a deeper, truer response mm-hmm. as we get to know him more and more and, and become submitted to him more and more. I, I just love the way that that leaves the door open. Um, another uh, definition that I really like, um, and this is by Bob Coughlin, who is a music guy. Um, he is, uh, or was, I think, I think he still is, the director of Sovereign Grace Music Ministries. Yeah, um, so. He has been for a long time. He's written a couple of really great books, True, uh, True Worshippers and mm-hmm. uh, Worship Matters, which if you ever want to read a book that's probably way too dense for you about worship because it's dense to me occasionally challenging (laughs) um as well uh reed coughlin's um worship matters Mm -hmm. it's just it's sort i love it because you expect it to be here's how you do congregational singing right and then he sort of sideswipes you and says no what are you thinking about um, it's it's beautifully written, wonderful job. But his his um, definition of worship, Christian worship, is the response of God's redeemed people to His self revelation that exalts God's glory in Christ in our minds, affections, and wills in the power of the Holy Spirit. So it's an all encompassing response mm-hmm. to who God is: um, mind, affection, will in the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, and he says, and because I like alliteration at, at all times, biblical worship is God's covenant people recognizing, reveling in, and responding rightly to the glory of God in Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. Love it. Um, that again, that we are we we view who God is and we respond to it. Mm-hmm. It's it's a big theme, um, carries all the way through everything that we're going to talk about. But but that it implies that you have to be um, on that road of progressive sanctification. You have to be. Um, looking to Jesus and then responding to him. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's a really, there's a, I, I would love to play the, the YouTube video if we had time. It's about a seven minute video, um, but we'll provide you the hyperlink for it. Um, John Piper um, quotes C.S. Lewis, so I have to sort of give the context of both um, here for a second. Um, in, uh, in a video about worship, it's like 10 or 15 years old now. Um, I don't know how old the video is off the top of my head. Um, but he's sort of talking about how people respond to the things that they love. Um, when you love a TV show or you love basketball or whatever, if, it, if anybody's an NBA fan, like, there's, there are those responses constantly. Did you see the game last night? Oh my goodness, it was so awesome. It was this, that, and the other. Um, you eat something that you really enjoy and it's like, oh, it was so good. This is the best food I've ever had. And yada, yada, you just start going on. If you've ever been on a really good vacation, it was beautiful. It was wonderful. It was the best. Would totally do it again. It's the best thing that I've ever ever done in my entire life. Those kinds of things. Um, when we when we love something, we talk about it and we praise it, even if it's a bowl of your favorite cereal. Like it can be as as petty and as little as as those kinds of things. You know, like um, you just really want for whatever reason, a Cheeto. And it's the best thing in the world in that moment. I don't know, maybe your palate is a little more sophisticated than mine is, but I teach high school or some around that. Yeah, it's, Cheetos are good. Um, <laughs> when, we res- when, when we see something that we love, or when we experience something that we love, we respond to it. Mm-hmm. So Lewis, talking about this idea, says, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise, is not merely, uh, the praise not merely expresses, but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. So, with Piper's pretty well understood view that the goal of man, essentially, our the reason for our existence is to um, to serve God, to know God, and to enjoy Him forever. Mm-hmm. Then our our automatic response, as Lewis puts it. And the completion of that enjoyment is to praise. Mm-hmm. And what is the one thing that we, outside of our, our love for each other, that, that response, what's the one thing that we as believers should be known for? It's our love for the God that we claim to serve. Right? So that, that clearly sets up the, the connection between um, about loving and, and, and being affectionate towards something and doing something about it. Um, so again, this whole thing brings us into the idea that, um, that, when, we, that when, we, 
worship, it's a response to something that we see and are, that affects our, our heart deeply. Mm-hmm. Even so far as to say that we enjoy or we love about something, and then we respond to it. We, we change the way that we live. We, we, um, we praise it, first of all. Then we change the way that we live, and then we try to use that same truth to enlighten and change um, others as well, because that's our, our corporate responsibility with the adoration, um, sanctification, and edification goals that we see in the scripture. Um, so then we, we jump into, like, why do we worship together? Um, or excuse me, why do we worship together? That's the correct emphasis. Um, well, I can do that. I can do most of that on my own, right? I can read the right. Bible. I can. Get a um, podcast. I can. I mean, Spotify. For crying out loud, I can, I can get my wireless earbuds out, plug them in, and just worship away, right? Like, why? Why do I need to do this together? I have um, streaming services. I can, you know, I can do computer church in the morning. You know, those with kinds Cheetos. of things, right? With Cheetos, with and then Cheetos. it's all—it's a whole new experience, right? Um, uh, in fact, I was talking to somebody recently who was who was sort of struggling with that. They they had been um, trying out uh, a church um, and had felt sort of disconnected because even when they went to the service, there there was so many people and nobody really connected with anybody, and you were still just sort of looking at a screen, watching the pastor, and you know then when they didn't have opportunity to go, they stayed home and watched him on the computer screen, and it sort of felt the same. There was something missing in their experience, and I think. I mean, my response to that would be that it's this togetherness aspect, this corporate aspect that we're going to talk, talk about. So why do we worship together? It's incredibly important at this point that we draw the distinction between the concept of worship in its broadest, truest sense, the things that we've already discussed, something that can be done privately. Um, and, uh, and this concept of, of corporate worship. The God-inspired, God-mandated gathering together of believers to ascribe worth and submit to the power and will of God in a unified manner that allows individuals not only to be encouraged in their hardships, aided in their lack, and challenged in their unbelief, but also to be taught and reminded of the truths that they say that they believe, held accountable to prayer and supplication on their own and others' behalf, and generally stirred up to love and good works by their fellow, uh, by their fellows in the life of Christ. So this idea that all of the functions of of that edification piece, particularly, have to come into play, and that's why we do it together. Um, uh, and and the, one of the one of the main reasons why we do that again, we talked about definitions um, being a good guide of how we should um, proceed, but then also like example, and it's and it's uh, exemplified in the scripture, model, modeled in scripture. Um, all throughout the Old and the New Testament. This idea of coming together um, is is written into Genesis chapter 2. Um, God looks down at Adam and says it's not good for man to be alone. And yes, on in, in part that was procreation, but on some level, like if we take the broadest definition of worship, which is any response to the commands or, or vision of who God truly is, God said be fruitful and multiply, take care of the earth that I have, that I've created for you. They were to do that together. And that in and of itself is corporate worship, enacting um, God's, uh, God's commands to them, not only to fill the earth with people, but to, um, but to care for it and to, and to, to cultivate it and to uh, subdue the earth. That was, that was part of the original call. That in and of itself is corporate worship. And then obviously we see that through, um, through the fathers of uh, of the Old Testament coming together and and making sacrifices together, um, whether we're talking about uh, Noah or Abraham or the you know um, the entire nation of Israel once they come out of the land of Egypt and are being led towards the Promised Land and all of these sacrificial moments and things that start to become enacted even to the point of the Ten Commandments being given and God saying this is what I expect of you and then the rest of the Levitical law being written in accordance with those Ten Commandments. Um, this is how you enact that. The entire nation of Israel is called to challenge one another and continue to grow one another in following those commandments. So in and of itself, in, within a theocracy, which is what Israel was supposed to be, every part of their existence was corporate worship. Um, you, you see that all the way, all the way through, and even um, to the, the very explicit rules and um, definitions and uh, requirements for the temple. Um, 
their worship services were prescribed down to every last little detail, even to like what the priests were supposed to wear and how their garments were supposed to be adorned and all of these kinds of things, um, what instruments they were supposed to use and how and when it all happened. It's this extraordinarily prescriptive idea. Um, and then you see in the New Testament, it sort of takes us, it feels like it takes sort of a, a, a tiny, uh, tiny huge turn away from that and goes into this they're just living their lives together um, studying the Bible together mm-hmm. uh, edifying one another together bearing one another's burdens together and, and sort of like and, and sort of stuff. living right they're yeah. like sharing and breaking bread <laughs> and all these kinds of yeah. things um, but again there's that emphasis on don't like some people do, don't abandon one another, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, it's all supposed to be done together. It's modeled all the way throughout scripture. And what I love about this is the concept of, um, of coming into that with, with, um, sort of a holistic approach. And I'll probably touch on this a little bit more in detail later because we're running short on time and I really got to push forward. Um, but even the prescription of the old Testament, when it's brought into the light of the new Testament, um, all of those details, you sort of, in the new Testament, it sort of seems like a lot of that prescriptive stuff about how to run a worship service sort of goes away. It doesn't seem to be there anymore. Um, but what's beautiful about it is that you look at Matthew 5, and Jesus is saying all of these things like, you've heard that you're not supposed to murder somebody? Well, you're also not supposed to be mad, like in, in sinful anger. If you're, you've heard you're not supposed to commit adultery, well, you're also not supposed to look lustfully after someone. You know, all this kind of stuff. So it seems like... The coming of Christ and, and the church age ushers in this idea of, um, I have to be careful how I phrase this, um, it's not, it's not a, a relaxation of, of the expectations, it's the acknowledgement that you cannot fulfill it by yourself. The law is our schoolmaster. And so when Christ dies on the cross, we, we see him fulfilling all of those expectations and now we worship in freedom. In, in the ability to be more open um, and, and less restrictive with the way, but again, it affects every aspect of our lives, almost theoretically to a greater degree mm-hmm. than it did when all when everything was lined out. Because we look at, um, ah, this, there's so much richness here, I'm sorry. Um, you look at the um, rabbinical law, which is like 300 some odd additional rules on top of the, the Pentateuch, that was basically a guidepost against the guidepost against the Ten Commandments. They were like, God says, don't, or remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. All right, well, then God said, you can't do this, 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 and this, and this in order to apply that rule to your life. And then the rabbis said, well, let's not even get anywhere close to that. Let's come all the way over here and do all this kind of stuff. And it was so restrictive. But then when Christ comes over um, in, in uh, Matthew and says, yeah, you've heard about all of this all of this stuff that you're not supposed to do, I'm not trying to get rid of that. I'm trying to make it even even heavier on your heart, even more important to you, that you, not out of, not in accordance with some law, but in accordance with your heart response to me, mm-hmm. to live in what I've asked of you, right. and live to live in what I've modeled for you. Um, it's worship. Every aspect of our lives then becomes a worship response. Um, there's a really beautiful way that that um, Christ sort of exemplifies that, um, which I'll have to get into later because it's too detailed. But um, basically, um, during <laughs> during during Holy Week, when when I love yeah. you guys, and sorry, I know. <laughs> so during Holy Week, when when um, you give him a timer, <laughs> we've got one and it's going off. It's bad. Um, when Christ comes into Jerusalem riding on the donkey and you see Hosanna Hosanna they're they're throwing down there were there were actually like that was in accordance with um, a prophecy about Christ and there were even like Levitical laws or, or prophecies about what kind of branches were going to be used and then if you know what is happening Christ at the end of that he stands on the steps of the temple and says um, I'm I'm the living water um, and if you know what's happening in that moment, and, and, and I am the light of the world. Um, 
I think those are the two images that he uses. Um, but he gets to the end of this donkey ride where everyone is proclaiming that he's the king. Um, he stands on the edge, edge of the temple, and because of the hour, if you look in the scripture, it gives you what time of day it was. Mm-hmm. Um, you understand and appreciate that not only was um, not only was the sun peeking over the temple as Christ was saying, I am the light of the world, but they were also in the midst of the sacrifices and the sluice gates had been opened and there was and the blood of all of the animals that they had just sacrificed were coming running down through the through the troughs on either side of the on either side of the temple steps. So Christ is saying standing there saying, I'm I'm the light of the world. I'm I can't remember if it's the living water or the, the lamb, but there's this be- beautiful, beautiful image of him exemplifying prophetically the the levitical law in this moment that says this is what this was all about Mm -hmm. what are you going to do with it now just it kills me um it's beautiful beautiful stuff so um so it's exemplified in the old testament and the new testament corporate worshiping together is important in both all throughout the bible go right and specifically with adoration sanctification and edification I'm going to talk super, super fast. (laughs) Um, You know, how does this, how are we able to do this better with other people? Well, like we've talked about when we love something, right? How do we keep talking about it? We bring more and more people into it, right? And then we keep going longer and longer and longer. It gets bigger and bigger. And pretty soon, you know, we have uh, an Instagram account that all these different people follow, follow that like the same thing as we do, right? So there's power in numbers, essentially. But we're in regards to worshiping God. We're mutually agreeing that God is the one to be worshipped, that he's deserving. We're retelling the stories of what he's done in our lives, in scripture. And we're relishing, we're loving all the aspects of the character of God. Um, as far as sanctification, this accomplishes together because when you look around, we're reminded of who God is. You know, when we're singing these songs, when we are bringing a meal. Or doing lots of other things. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was saying. Yeah. <laughs> when we're bringing a meal, and the many countless ways that we worship with our lives with someone else in the presence of other believers, we're essentially saying, look how beautiful God is, look how compassionate He is. And so because of that, look at where I'm not, right? And this act that I'm doing is me some tiny, tiny way being a prism reflection of the character of God, right? We see that in one another and it's so encouraging. And it helps us spot out the areas where we're not like God. It's also edifying because um, I love to think about when we are especially in a place of vulnerability, like with our faith and we're really weak. Um, Maybe we're like really in a doubting season, really questioning. Those are the times when I think we can leverage the faith of one another and stand on each other's shoulders, and it's incredible. Um, I think that, and there's our yeah. child's face, very large. <laughs> so cute. <laughs> um, those are the moments when we are worshiping together. We're essentially asking each other, like, you see what's going on in the world? Like, do you still believe despite all of this? Like, are you still serving God? And each time that we are worshiping and our actions and our spirit and our words, we're saying, yeah, I still believe. Like, I know what's going on in your life and I know the chaotic state of the world, but yeah, it, it edifies one another and says like, yeah, oh, this is true. This is real. It's worth it's worth all of our time and all of our energy. So all of those three things are accomplished in a deeper way, I think, when we worship together. So it's exemplified in scripture. It's it accomplishes what we've established as sort of the purposes or the or the um, the effects of worship in our lives that sanct or that adoration, sanctification, edification idea. But then it also like it fulfills what corporate worship fulfills what God or what Christ wanted for us um, before He left the world, and He spoke it in His high priestly prayer. If you look at John seventeen, He specifically talks about um, He says. Uh, talking to the Father in a prayer. He's saying, all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, Mm -hmm. even as we are one. Mm -hmm. That seems all well and good on, on the surface level, But God the Son just said to God the Father, let my followers be one in the same way that we are. That's huge. Our our basic understanding of what the Trinity is, is is that concept of of three persons, one God. It's not, and and 
<laughs> and our most basic doctrines about who he is clearly point out that there is no separation in that mm. outside of the cross. It's a complete unity and a complete mm. oneness mm. in a way that goes so far as to say the Lord our God is one. Mm. There, there, we, we see him in these three persons and, and he exists in that way, but it's not, it's not that he is multiple he is still one. And so on some level, our Christ's goal for his followers was to be together in the most basic, in, in the biggest sense. It was, it was not just in, he didn't want us to be together just in purpose or just in gathering or just in all of these things. In a sense, he wanted us to be one in essence, like who we are is one in Christ and now we're left with the task how do we see that accomplished and exemplified in our lives like that's a huge thing that I'm still being like bowled over by every time I think about it so how does that change the way that I interact with the people mm. even at church not that anyone like this is in this room but who drive me nuts right like how does that affect the people who are at, at church X across the way who I know are still believers but I don't believe the same things that they do about some second hand issues it's, it's not just tolerance to be one with someone mm -hmm. it's so much deeper than that yeah. and corporate worship is supposed to be a response to every command that we're given by God to the best of our abilities mm -hmm. and in this sense we are to be one mm -hmm. with all of these people and so I think as we continue to move forward, we, we're trying to find ways to work that out. We're living under the um, work out your own salvation principle here. Yeah. Um, Christ has called us to be one. How do we do that? Um, so how do, we, how do we worship together then? Um, we sort of have to jump into some guiding principles based on the things that we've already talked about. Um, and if you look at... Uh, the passage or the the verse that our sort of theme idea is pulled out of those that worship me must worship me in spirit and in truth um there are two aspects to that um you see this the spirit aspect and then the truth aspect um those that worship me must worship me in spirit and if you look at the 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 definition of the word spirit it's sort of um it's sort of an odd term um it doesn't when we see spirit a lot of times we think like not that any of us are still thinking ghosts necessarily, but that's sort of the idea that we get. It's like a, a, a being on another plane kind of idea. Um, and that uh, I'm, in some context is, is certainly, um, depending on how you want to parse out that word picture, in some way there's some truth to that. Um, but the word is often translated breath or wind. Um, so it's sort of intangible. Yeah. It's something that you're aware of, something that affects your life, but you can't really grab a hold of it. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's not something that we can grab onto or, or hold down or put a picture of, of it up in our wall or mm -hmm. you know, even memorize it. You're sort of just affected by it and experience it on some level. So we have that, they must worship me in spirit, which is sort of this intangible, what does that mean exactly? It's, it has a very emotional context in the way that we're looking at it. Um, but then it also says they must worship me in truth, which I don't know about you, but in a day and age that talks so much about like the concepts of what is truth, mm -hmm. um, truth is the most concrete realities of the universe. Like, and for us, that means the Bible, right? Like the things that we know about God because he's communicated them to us. So really, you must worship me in spirit, in, in the intangible, in the emotional, in the, the un, not unclear, but in, the, in, in these ways that you can't pin down, mm -hmm. but also in truth, in absolutes, in, in reality, in who I say that I am. Um, so we're emphasizing that this, this sort of paradoxical view of what worship is, it's a, it's a response that includes concrete and intangible, head and heart, knowledge and passion, um, spirit and truth. Um, and that, is, that becomes the essence of what, of what we talk about when, when we're guiding our worship. So we look at that intention, but then we can sort of also evaluate what we have done. So intention seems to be a little bit of a, like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm, gonna, I'm striving to worship in spirit and in truth mm -hmm. um, with passion and with knowledge. Um, 
But then if we pull that adoration, sanctification, and edification piece that we sort of put together from the definition is, definitions and examples of the scripture earlier on, we have a way to sort of evaluate what we're doing. Um, is what we're doing effectively tr in spirit and in truth adoring God? Are we doing it with passion and knowledge? Um, are we being changed? Is there sanctification there with passion and with knowledge? Are we, are we learning the, tr the real truth and then responding to it in passion? Um, and then edification then becomes about how we interact with one another. Um, are we doing that with passion and with knowledge? Are we doing that with spirit and with truth? Um, so it changes the way that we live our personal lives, where we're, we should be motivating um, each other towards devotional and contemplative life, like really studying the scripture and trying to, um, to self-reflect and, 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 again, that progressive sanctification. We're encouraging that in each other. Um, we're even, even to the point of holding high standards for vocational excellence, <coughs> maintaining God re godly relationships with forgiveness and restoration. It affects every aspect of our personal lives if we are living in, when we find out the truth, we respond to it in passion. Yeah, and I think here, um, <laughs> this is, our time is up. So I think it might be neat to just jump right in since we are on the spirit and truth into our question. Mm -hmm. is, that, is that cool? Sure. Um, and just, just kind of allow me, them. Let me Go ahead. You just summarize. This? Yeah, real quickly. Summary to wrap up. Because we talked about it affects our personal life, it affects our missional life, what we do. Like if we're worshiping rightly, it affects what we do as we as we try to share the gospel outward. But then, which is going to be the primary focus of the rest of our class, so I'd hate to miss touching on it at all, yes. is that is that it changes our church life. It when when we are looking at the truth of the gospel and trying to respond to it truthfully and passionately, it changes the way that we teach the gospel. Um, it should it should make us much more adherent to what is truthful and factual and and the things that God is very clear about and then it should teach us to respond to that um, and even to present it in energized and passionate and creative ways so the teaching becomes becomes drastically changed if we are responding in spirit and in truth um, the 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 practices of the church, the sacraments of the church, those the, the 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 procedures, the things that we do are should be based out of the truth, should be based out of scripture, but then engaged in passionately, um, even at that. So like scripture reading and and acts of service, that like our the things that we do try to do at Emmaus, like serve serve the city, those kinds of things, they're born out of um, the truth of the gospel and a need to respond to it passionately. So it should change everything that we do within those aspects of the church as well. And then obviously, which the thing that we will finally <laughs> jump into is it changes the way that we sing. It changes the way that we together affirm scripture and ch allow ourselves to be changed and allow ourselves to encourage one another. Um, we'll get into this more fully as we continue to move on. Um, but if we go back to the high priestly prayer and Christ says, um, my desire is for them to be one like you and I are one. How can we affirm, um, adore, ch be changed by the truth that we're adoring and, and try to affect others' lives in as succinct and collective and corporate a, pos uh, a way as possible? We could all stand there and, and speak a creed, and sometimes we do that. But what combines passion and, and truth better than song. When, when we want to say something important, we speak it in prose. When we want to emphasize it, we speak it in poetry. When we want to beautify it and magnify it even beyond the realm of what poetry can, can tell us, we sing it. Like this is just sort of the way that our emotions work naturally. The way that God has gifted us is that when it's important, we say it. When it's even more important, we try to articulate it more fluently. And then when it's passionate, we sing it. Um, that's why all those crazy musical movies have people just jumping out in song for no apparent reason. Well, apparently whatever it is that they're talking about is really, really important to them. So they sing it. If we, if we take that and we bring that into the life of the church... If it's important to us, we listen to it. If it's really important to us, we're gonna respond to it. We're gonna speak it to each other. Yeah. But if it's incredibly important to us and it goes beyond what we can articulate fluently together, we're gonna sing it. Um, so that's why we get a little passionate. Yeah, yeah. We're gonna sing it together, yeah. Um, 
So that whole corporate worship thing, um, worship in a broad sense, responding to God in, in, in every applicable sense. Doing that together is incredibly important. So the next couple weeks we want to talk about trying to make that happen. How do we make that work? So there's our summary. <laughs> uh, do, uh, we're, we're four minutes past. Yeah. Um, Brian said that we just needed to make sure that everyone got their kids before 8.15. So if you have little ones, um, you please feel free to, to go get your kids if, yes. if you need to, those kinds of things. We want to stick around for a few minutes and, and answer any questions that anybody has about the yes. information. I know that it was a lot of, like, it was just information dumped Overload, tonight. Yeah. But I felt like we had to establish where we were going. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a lot to it. Um, so please feel free to ask us to clarify anything that was confusing or anything like that. I do want to close this in a word of prayer real quickly, um, but then we'll stick around for a while and answer any questions or continue the discussion or whatever you guys feel like. Yeah, and I would say to mm -hmm. just jump on that, just a question to kind of maybe leave you with. We had planned to kind of give you space to answer this, but time. So maybe as you, before you come next week, consider the question essentially, where do you tend uh, to lean more heavily on worshiping with your head or worshiping with your heart, right? It's the spirit versus truth. And maybe just, you know, stew on that a little bit and bring back next week kind of where you are. Uh, I think that'll help us move forward. We heard somebody in a conference recently say that it's really easy to find worship in spirit or worship in truth. It's not so easy to find the combination. Yeah. So our goal as a church, as a church body is to find a way to do them both well. Right, and so we have to know ourselves, like where our tendency mm -hmm. is, um, in order to kind of counteract and help us balance in the other direction. Um, so with that, yeah, let's pray. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Okay. You want to pray, Beth? Yeah, let's pray. God, we are so grateful. We cannot uh, fill the room with enough words about your character and the incredible ways that you have changed our lives, and the ways and uh, all of the beautiful things that are about to unfold even in the next 24 hours and in the way that we will worship before you someday in heaven. There's so much unseen, Father, and so as we struggle to try to put words to what is unseen, would you help us to engage um, in the deepest parts of our passions and also in the strongest beliefs, Lord, would you help us to to meet both places? Um, would you help us to learn where our tendency is, spirit or truth, heart or head? Would you give us courage to step bravely towards the other direction in a way that would uh, sanctify and edify each other? Um, we just give this whole journey, this whole class over to you. Um, we ask that you would do things that we cannot even imagine um, through each person and through the people that these people will affect and we just ask, Lord, that your name, despite all of our ramblings, despite all of our questions and our shortcomings, that, that your name, that we be in such greater awe of it each week as we leave. We'd be, we'd be just more in love, more shocked, more in awe, um, more devoted to you. Would you open our eyes to what we don't know about you? In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.